It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA Podcast. Today's guest is a good friend of mine who I've been trying to get on the show for quite a while, Doc from Bad Wolves and God Forbid. I could sit down and talk to him for hours. We've known each other for quite a while. Just a super insightful guy. But the one particular thing that I wanted to talk about with him in this show is having a second act in your life, career, yeah, I guess just your life in general. So as some of you guys know, he was in his previous band, God Forbid, from when he was 16 or something till he was like, I don't know, 30, I guess. They broke up in like 2013, spent a while kind of bouncing around, trying some different things before he ended up in his current band, Bad Wolves. And if you don't know Bad Wolves, they are big. They're actually one of the biggest newer rock and metal bands. They just got back from an arena tour in Europe with Five Finger Death Punch and Megadeth. I mean... They're doing it. They've got hundreds of millions of plays on Spotify. I think they've got like two and a half million monthly listeners right now. And it's amazing. I mean, not to say that I was ever worried about him or anything like that, but you know, you never know. You certainly don't expect somebody to have that kind of like big inflection point in their 30s like that. And I talked to a lot of people who are kind of worried. They feel like I'm 32. Is it too late for me to do anything with my life? And I don't mean specific to music. It could be anything. But the answer is no, it's not too late. There's always a way. What you got to do is create your own opportunities. You need to put yourself in the scoring zone. You need to be top of mind. You need to put out a bunch of hooks until you catch something. That is exactly what Doc has been able to do. That's what we talk about in this podcast. Super excited to share it with you. If you want to support the show, there's a few things you can do. Number one, share it on social media. Please share it. Tag me and Doc and our producer, Deanna Chapman. Share it on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere that you can. We would love it. Just help us get the word out. Second thing you can do is support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. Patrons get all the podcasts a week early. There's a live Q&A. There's a chance for me to review your band or podcast, your YouTube channel, or any other project you want to send my way. Number three is you can buy some merch. There's also a link to that in the show notes. And also, as always, I want to thank our editor and producer, Deanna Chapman. She is the one who makes this all happen. If you've got a podcast that you would like to get off the ground, or maybe you already have a podcast, you just want to do it a little bit bigger and better, she is the person to talk to. There's a link to her website in the show notes. Don't be shy about hitting her up. She is fantastic. And with that out of the way, let's get into the show. Happy Wednesday, Doc. Thank you so much for joining the show here. You just got off the road, correct? Yeah, I got back from tour on Friday. Bad Wolves did our biggest European tour yet with opening up for Five Finger Death Punch and Megadeth, uh, doing like arenas across Europe, you know, sold out every night. It was pretty, pretty damn insane. And then uh, I immediately, I'm doing this gig with a couple of the guys from Metallica and the drummer from Queens of the Stone Age and Whitfield Crane from... uh, Ugly Kid Joe, like this cover band gig. So I like got back on Friday, had one day to rest, and then immediately I'm like back rehearsing and and practicing for this gig. So it's like actually a little stressful, but it's almost sometimes you get home from tour and it's it can be you have nothing going on, you get really lazy. But this is kind of like 
you know, it's like real work. All right, snap to it. Get up early. Get your shit done. So it's actually kind of cool. Let's all cry for Doc because he's tired before the Metallica gig. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not that tired. I'm. I'm actually pretty energized, you know. But uh, I was uh, at the end of every night. I'm fucking shocked because I'm playing till I, I. I'm practicing till I can't keep my eyes open. But <laughs> yeah, well, with those with those guys, you definitely want to be on your A game. Yes, yes, and they're you know I've I've been playing with Rob Trujillo in a couple different bands this band mass mental and now this and you know he's just he's a beast but he's like you know he's the kind of guy he'll just he'll call you the day of rehearsal and be like hey learn this song and you got got like an hour you got like an hour to learn a song you're like dude you can do that i can't (laughs) oh no i i can do it but in his world you know because in many ways he's kind of similar to me where he was in a band you know suicidal tendencies for a long time that was like his band and then he became kind of this hired gun type guy where the the reason you get those gigs is because you're the guy that can learn a song in an hour right 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 yep you know so it's like i think that's you know part of the reason i think why he, he likes me is he kind of maybe sees a little of himself in in, in, in me at least i hope so <laughs> unless i'm just projecting <laughs> yeah well that's what i always said about uh you know i don't know mark cuban but i'm pretty sure that if I did, he would look at me as like the younger version of himself. That's that's what I that's what I tell myself anyway. Hey man, stay humble, baby. Yeah. Stay humble. <laughs> well, that's actually what I wanted to talk about on the show because I think out of you know everybody that I know, to me, you're like the best example of somebody that's had an amazing like second arc of your career and life in a lot of ways. We've known each other for probably almost like ten years now. Back when you were still doing God forbid, and then you quit and kind of you know, stopped. And for a while there, you were kind of trying to figure out what was next. And and I don't want to say you were in a bad place, but it seemed like you were stressing a little bit about that. Can you take me back to like maybe 2013, 2014 to where you were at then? Yeah, I would say it wasn't a bad place. I would say I was comfortably vulnerable. Essentially, when I left, God forbid, I used kind of the blogosphere as a way to publicly discover who I was going to be. And, you know, the thing is when, when you're in a band and you're part of a collective and you're trying to maintain a brand and show the world that you're still killing it when things aren't going well, you, a lot of times you don't have the freedom to be honest. And so like when I quit the band, I felt this huge weight off my shoulders. I was able to actually talk about all the things that weren't working out, things I wasn't confident about, things that worried me, reasons why I didn't think the band was successful. And so I kind of use that as like a launching pad to just be really open. It's interesting because I was, I was listening to the podcast you do with Brian Storm and I forgot that he did stuff with Metal Sucks and you did. It's almost like weird that Metal Sucks was like this incubator. It totally was. For all these kind of media creators who are in totally, it's like you do something totally different than I do, which is different than what Brian does. And, you know, and I'm still on the kind of artist side of things, not kind of, I am, uh, side of things as well, but I still kind of feel like a media person or multimedia. I don't figure, I don't know how, how to exactly articulate it, but it's kind of interesting. For anybody who's not familiar, you said you used the blogosphere. What specifically were you doing? Like, who were you writing for? What kind of stuff were you writing about? So essentially, my brother... Uh, Dallas was in God forbid. And he started doing these blogs on metal sucks and I fucking hated him. He was, he would say the most ignorant shit. And I got pissed off because I felt like he was, you know, and metal sucks liked it because he would say really ignorant shit that would get a lot of attention. Of course. They were all about it. Fan the flames. (laughs) Yeah. And it pissed me off because I felt like he was representing us. That's one thing about being in a band. I don't think a lot of people realize is that when you like, let's say you have a lead singer who's a particular kind of lyricist and he says something that you feel like maybe doesn't represent you politically, doesn't represent you uh, philosophically. That's kind of a bummer, you know, to kind of be tied to those things and how, you know, you look at what happened with Amir and I know a lot of the guys that quit, you know, a lot of it was lyrical issues, you know, yeah, yeah, everything Frankie's going through now and all, all that stuff. But just to give an example, not to just shit on Frankie, but anyway, so he was, he was doing, saying all this crazy stuff. And it's especially true in that case, because it's not only your bandmate, but your brother too. Yeah. I mean, that really didn't concern me as much. It was, a you know, but anyway, you know, the label, they, they were like, oh, but stuff like that is cool because it's, you're stepping outside the box. You're kind of promoting the band in different ways. And so, I don't know, I, I got inspiration to to write something. 
you know, and I wanted to give a more kind of nuanced, I guess, intellectual side of the band and don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't want it to just come off as, um, attention getting or clickbaity, whatever. I wanted to actually represent that side of things. But what was the title of your column on Metal Sucks? There wasn't a, like a recurring title. You mean, or you mean the name of the first actual one? Oh, or was it your brother that it was called the hard R? Yeah, that was his thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, his, his was the hard R. I didn't get that until like a year ago, by the way. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> well, that was, there's a whole, <laughs> see, that goes to, God forbid, like there's a whole section on our documentary DVD and it's called Rated R for Real. But the R is like, because we would just call each other, you know, N-words with the hard R right. all the time. That's <laughs> We very much enjoyed that. You know, it's a it's a thing. It's a different world now. That's right. That's right. You know, they would we would be canceled now. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it's still on YouTube. You can go watch it. So God forbid kind of dissolved and you took advantage. You were writing for Metal Sucks and some other places and you used this as a way to kind of put yourself out there and say, hey, I'm a free agent. This is where my head's at. Here's the kind of stuff I'm interested in. Or what did you have a specific plan there? Or? So right away, the first article I wrote was about criticism, you know, and I was kind of like, you know, when you're in that phase of a creative part of a band where you you take it all really personally, you know, and I was like in that mode. And I, and I wrote like kind of a, it was called, I think it was called a response to criticism. And I don't even remember the article. I'd have to go back to see it. But eventually I just started writing stuff about metal, you know, like different trends. I did one about image in metal. I did one about uh, European bands versus America, just things I was interested in. You did that Pantera one that I thought was really good about the Pantera production. That was years later, but I did that for Creative Live. Yeah. It was good. But that was that was an evolution where I was writing about music and then I started my own blog and I decided I was like I just don't want to write about just metal anymore. So then I started doing an NBA blog cuz they on Metal Sucks they had Odorous from Guar was doing like a football one and someone was doing baseball and hockey and they're like, "Hey doc, would you like to do NBA?" So I did I did the NBA one for like I think 2 years or something. Uh and it was a lot of fun cuz it was like cool to stretch the muscles of writing about different su- subject matter. And that almost felt like a real column because they had an editor I was working with who would kind of pitch me ideas and stuff. And it felt like I was really working. Like it wasn't just like some some hobby. It felt like a little more professional. And then I just started to want to write about more personal things, you know? And then I started writing for my, my own blog, you know? And then I wrote this one piece right when I moved to LA about... Essentially, after Chimera, Shadows Fall, and Bleeding Through all either broke up or went on hiatus within like the course of a few weeks, you know, and I basically talked about why these bands are breaking up, what this era that we were in and what I had learned. And I was just laid it all out and it went kind of viral, you know, because I was just like putting it on the table. I remember that one. I remember the specifics, but what were some of the things that you talked about in that? I talked about how that essentially there's an arc you know, of a underground band that re- reaches some prominence. Essentially, like everyone usually starts the band in their early 20s or late teens. And then you get some success and everyone's excited. And then eventually it becomes kind of, you know, things kind of level out. And and then th- people's lives start to change in their mid-20s to like late 20s where people start saying, hey, do I want to do this forever? Do I want to start a family? Do I want, you know, you start to really question it. And if the band doesn't take off a la Kill Switch Engage or Bullet For My Valentine or something like this, where you're actually, you have a stable financial career and you can see a future, then people start say, hey, maybe this isn't going to work out. And then I started to call out, I was like, and, and I think this is the thing that he, that people connected to even more is I called out ourselves and I said, you know what, maybe we just weren't good enough. And that's the thing that most, I think, artists never, not never, but rarely take the time to look in the mirror to say, you could do all the right things. Yeah. But it, but it just, it was, you put the record out at the wrong time or maybe you're, front man or front woman wasn't charismatic enough. Maybe you just, you, you, you made the wrong decision with the label or you know, it's like, there's so many things that's so difficult, you know, but the one thing is say, Hey, you know what? Take ownership. You know, it, it's like, there's something very powerful in not blaming people and saying, okay, what could I have done better? And then take that and then put that into your next project. Here's all the things I did wrong with this 
band or this project or this business. And that's the thing with, with a lot of us who start bands when we're in high school is you have to make all your mistakes with that band because I was never in any other bands. You know, that was the first band I was ever in. Yeah, you guys were like 16 or something when you started, right? Well, me and my my brother and I were were 15 and 16, and every, and then Corey and Byron were like five years older than us, and then John was a, like three years older than them. So it was kind of a wide uh, variety in, in age, but yeah. So did you have any kind of like master plan with this writing that you were doing as far as like, I want somebody to go, hey, I'm putting a band together, I'm going to call Doc, or I'm going to, you know, I really like what he has to say about this, I'm going to hire him to work at my label, or were you just kind of putting out hooks to see what happened, or where was your head out there? None of that. There was, there was no real plan. My only plan, honestly, well, actually, let me, let me actually back up before I talk about plan. Let's talk about discovery. And when I say discovery, I mean... At least for me, when I was doing a band and I was playing guitar all the time and thinking about music 24-7, for a while, you think that's all you can do, you know? And in a sense with writing and the kind of the great thing about writing in the blog era was the, the thing I loved about it the most was you got immediate feedback, right? So if you did something well or that connected and especially, and people don't probably remember, but back in the, around that time, 2010 to 2014, Metal Sucks comment section was a lot more civil and intellectual. Like it was actually, there would be like very interesting thought out uh, back and forths, you know, that you could actually discuss. It wasn't just, you know, trolls like trolling. I don't think was, I don't even know if that was a thing I even knew back then. Yeah. I don't even know if they have comments anymore. Yeah. Maybe on Facebook. I don't know. Um, Or maybe they do. But anyway, so because of that, you know, and the thing is you just get feedback. People like, yo man, you're a really good writer. And you're like, really? (laughs) And you, and then, so I just started to feel like, Oh, you know, maybe I can do this other thing. And so my goal was actually just to put myself in a position where I could just be creative every day. Because when you, you know, when you work an employee type job, you're working for someone else's dream. You know, when you work at FedEx, it's like the CEOs and the, you know, the investors, they're the ones that are getting the benefit of your labor. Yes. So I just wanted to have my time. I, I at the time I was like, my time is more valuable than money. So I, I wasn't making that much money, but I was like, man, all I need to do is make like this amount, like this very small amount to basically, I could bartend, you know, here and there on the weekends or do little things, but I could have my days free to just, and I love that freedom of getting up every day. And so I eventually I got hired at VH1 to be the columnist, uh, the, the modern metal columnist in 2015 when I moved, you know, maybe about eight months after I moved to LA. And it was kind of a game changer because it was very, VH1, that name was so was such a big name and carried so much prominence that I got a lot of credibility and the articles I would write would get a lot of traction. Just, you know, I mean, I saw some of the numbers, you know, and it was definitely for the big ones, it was in the hundreds of thousands. Oh, wow. You know, especially that time, the viral nature right. of the way Facebook the worked with shares. Yeah. Well, the share, the way, like, so you would get an article, especially I was never trying to be clickbaity, but I understood what kind of, like, it's almost like a bad opinion. Like Vice does this now where they're like, they'll do a thing where ever, they'll find something that's beloved and then get a writer to shit on it. They'll be like, here's why the Matrix is a piece of shit. And then, and people will just. Well, I, I know a thing or two about that playbook. <laughs> yeah. They'll hate read it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So that kind of really changed everything. And it was like, oh, okay. So I can work on this, but then I can also work on music and do gigs and kind of just be like a free, like I said, there was no real plan. And then I started doing my my podcast, which was kind of the next right, right. thing. I had stopped writing for VH1, and then I worked I worked for Creative Live yep. for about the same time, about about a year doing doing articles that were more specifically geared towards musicians and professionals. So it was stuff that was more in that in that realm, and that was fun too. And you were doing some musical stuff at that time too, with Vegas Nerve and Maytel, and yeah, I you know and that was and that was a very interesting period because the things I was doing musically was all about creativity and camaraderie. Like I didn't care about uh, the commercial success. That was, it was great to work that muscle, just doing something completely independent. We did like a Kickstarter campaign, did some very small DIY shows, you know, on the West coast did some on the, on the East coast. And it was just like cool to do something without the purpose of like, this needs to be, 
big or this needs to be, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it was like, it's kind of retraining your mind and doing music for the reason why you started doing it, which was because you enjoyed it, you know? And it's, and for me, it's about making something out of nothing that you're, you're proud of and spending time with people that you love, you know? What I'm really interested in, in what you're saying is like the state of mind that would permit you to be comfortable with that because just hearing you describe that is like making me anxious because I'm the sort of person that I always have to have like a plan and a goal and I always have to feel like okay this is the next step that I'm working for but I kind of feel like the fact that you didn't have a specific goal or plan is kind of what made you successful in that situation tell me about like what makes you comfortable with that kind of ambiguity (laughs) well Let's start with the the fundamental fact that I'm a pure nonconformist. And I think a lot of it has to do with the lifestyle of touring and kind of just accepting the fact that you're just going to be a weirdo and you're not, you know, listen, I know a lot of people in bands, they, they have kids and they have the the house with the white picket fence and they, they, they they do all that stuff. But something about being, you know, 30 years old and kind of having nothing, you know, because there was a certain point where I would feel like shame, like man, I don't look at that guy. He's got all this. They got that. But then after a while, I was like, yeah, but you know, they're trapped. You know, they're stuck living in the same town in New Jersey that, you know, I was and And basically I started to, I discovered real freedom. See, it's, it's interesting because I would feel like you're the one that's trapped. Be like, oh man, this poor musician guy's trapped in his musician lifestyle. Meanwhile, you're, you're looking at, at me saying, no, you're the one that's trapped. <laughs> well, no, no, I know. I was trapped when I was still in God forbid, and I was holding on to that dream. I'm talking about when I left God forbid, and I was kind of starting over from scratch. And you can say, I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. I wasn't tied to a band. I wasn't tied to anything. And I think people, you know, especially in America, we have this idea of what freedom is. But the truth is, true freedom is both scary and exhilarating. You know, the truth, you know, most of us need something solid, something dependable, something predictable. And to live the other way, most people are not built for that. But, you know, like I said, I traveled light. It's funny because, you know, I I was watching your video about Henry Rollins. And I find a lot of kindred spirit in the way he sees the world, which I know kind of like you don't really see eye to eye with. But I think it completely has to do with these paradigms of culture and acceptability. Like, I think fundamentally, if you see like a loner, someone who chooses to like not have a family and not have a mate and just to put their their time and effort into creative work or whatever they're doing, as that somehow they're lacking something. But here's the difference between you and him is he wrote like 50 books and songs about how lonely and miserable he is, which is my criticism. Is If he was like, no, I'm happy this way, like, it's cool, I would say, well, all right, whatever makes you happy. And that's my issue with him is like, well, why did you write 50 books about how lonely you are and then also reject people? So to me, that's the difference between you and him is you have never put that out there of like, wow, I'm so unhappy and miserable. I haven't read all his books, you know, and I think, you know, I don't think it's necessarily fair to hold someone that they wrote a book when they were 30 and then they're 50 and say, well, yeah, but he wrote that book from the time he was 23 till he was like 45. Like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak on that. But I'm, anyway, I'm more yeah. just talking, speaking to the idea about, you know, when you, you know, travel light, right. When you don't yeah. have anything physically holding you down, that gives you the opportunity. So it's like, I basically, that's how I moved to LA. Yeah. Was I was like, you know what? I'm single. I had some stability in, you know, on the, on the East Coast. But I was like, you know what? I'll probably never have an, another opportunity to do this. So at the time, I was 32 or 33, you know, 33. And, you know, in rocker age, in metal years, it's like 100. I felt like I was like past my prime, you know, especially to be like, hey, I'm going to go to LA and try to make it, you know? <laughs> but I felt yeah. like, okay, I basically looked at it this way. I had spent my entire half of my life developing this one skill, you know, music, you know, and, and really music skills, a bunch of skits, you know, writing, playing, touring, singing, whatever. It's a bunch of skills, but I'm just going to say it's one skill. So ultimately there are jobs available in this realm that I can, you know, I'm going to be able to get into a different level then as opposed to if I went into another field where I have to start all the way from the bottom. So that's where I was looking at it. Yeah. And I was like, I have a few years to just see 
if I can do this again. See, it's interesting to me that you described yourself as this like free spirit nonconformist, which I mean, I understand why you'd say that, but it's hard for me to picture you that way because of what you just said, because you're thoughtful and strategic and you're not a flake. And so I think kind of the important thing to unpack there is that being a you know, nonconformist that marches to the beat of your own drum does not mean necessarily being a flake with no plan. I think the, those two things can kind of exist in a different way. Like you can be a free spirit, but free spirit doesn't mean irresponsible. Yes, that's a better way of saying what I was trying to say. I look at everything in that there's no free lunch. Like me, you know, the probably one of the biggest differences between me and you is like, I'm a party guy and you are explicitly not. But, and there's a certain element of... But I was until I was like, you know, that actually doesn't make me happy. Yeah, but here's the thing. It still makes me happy. I'm almost 40 years old and I'm, I do kind of have a romantic idea about rock and roll recklessness. It is part of the job. I would be shitty at being in a band because I'm going to go to bed at 10 and wake up at 5 and not ever drink and eat clean all the time and I would be a shitty bandmate. But you just described Jamie Justa. <laughs> a lot of people do that. Like Zoltan Bathory from Five Finger Death Punch doesn't drink. He does business all day long. You never see him because he's on the phone. He's on the computer. He's making deals. He's working. So it there there are it and listen in the end we tour like like the tour we just did Megadeth every guy is sober uh, Five Finger Death Punch pretty much every guy is sober and you know because those are people in their forties and fifties who have gone down those roads and it didn't work out for them yeah um and who knows maybe someday I'll get there too I don't know but like I said I have a romantic idea about it. like I'm the guy that reads slashes book right. you know and goes to the section where they're doing heroin in the park and writing sweet child of mine i'm like man that's kind of cool man we should get some heroin i used to feel the same <laughs> i way. don't mean literally but i think about it part of it feels i don't know like something inherent to the greatness and the magic is that you push it to this element to this or to this limit excuse me and then because it's so powerful, it literally can't last, which is why we had so many people, so, so many of these people die. But it's almost like that, the way they push it, goes hand in hand with the greatness. Oh, I think that's 100% true. And just to be clear, you know, when I talk about this stuff, I'm not telling anyone else how to live. You know, people should do what makes them happy. I'm just saying that those things don't make me happy. And I think there's probably a lot of people who may believe that it makes them happy, but it doesn't. But that's up to them to decide. And I just want to be clear that I'm not telling anyone else that they should live the way that I do. Yeah. And I think you're totally right that to a certain extent, you know, redlining yourself as a lifestyle, I think does kind of go hand in hand with being a really good artist. It doesn't always and it doesn't have to, but there's a correlation there that I think it would be dishonest to say that it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. But I pin that with also my whole life up until recently, I never had any money. You know, I never made money and I was always kind of broke. And so I think, you know, my parents don't have, you know, you know, there's no one leaving me any money. There's no, you know, pot of gold anywhere for me. So I understand, I think the, the accountability that you talk about with me, how I kind of like, I'm not a flake and, because I understand if I don't work hard enough, then I'm going to be homeless. Mm -hmm. So literally, <laughs> you know, yeah. So that's what is going to make me, you know, it's like, I don't. Like I, I hate the um, language and the around kind of the hustle culture, you know. Like I hate motherfuckers that gloat about how hard they work. It's it's nothing pissing yeah. me off. But you know, but a lot of people, say, oh man, you work so hard, and it's like not really. I'm the laziest dude out there. It's more just a function of necessity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's like, well, if I don't do this, then I'm gonna. It's like if I don't, you know, like I have these rehearsals with you know, the Metallica guys, if I don't show up prepared, then I'm not going to get the call. Right. To me, that's a function of necessity. It's not because I'm, I have such a great work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's stupidity and overconfidence that allows someone to show up not prepared. You just don't want to fuck it up. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not because I'm like, you know, wired different than anyone. I don't think I, like I said, I just don't want to be in, you know, there's something about taking pride in one's self and want to do, just put your best foot forward. That's all that is. Well, 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. There's a couple of things here that I want to touch on. But before I do that, specifically, how did you end up in Bad Wolves? Because I don't, I don't think I actually know that. Well, the thing that's really crazy about it is John Berklin, dr- the drummer who founded Bad Wolves, was you know played in Devil Driver for like 12 years. And kind of his and I journey with me moving to L.A. was almost was exactly parallel. So... I was moving to LA. I bought this used car for $5,000, a Jetta, and the transmission broke twice driving cross country. Running out of money. I'm stuck. It, uh-huh. I was, it was supposed to take me six days to get there. To, I, was, I was three weeks. I was like paying rent on an apartment I couldn't even, I wasn't even living in. Had all this shit, didn't know I was going to get there. It was, it was a mess. <laughs> That's how my journey started. <laughs> sitting in the shit god murphy's law baby (laughs) but then uh the way i got to la was i hitched a ride with devil driver i got this idea i was like well let me see who's coming through tour or coming through town that's going from denver i was stuck in denver going to la i hit him up they gave me a ride and right when i moved to la he quit devil driver it was interesting thing on that tour i met their guitar tech max karen who was actually the guitar player that he was writing what would be, be the Bad Wolf songs with. And I got to meet him and jam with him. And so pretty much right when I moved to LA, me and John were hanging out all the time. He was basically my, my best friend when I when I moved there. And he was showing me all this stuff that would ultimately end up being the Bad Wolf stuff. And you were never planning this whole time, like, oh, I'm going to hang out with John and we're going to start a band together. No. The stuff was even more technical and proggy and heavy and honestly when i first moved there i just didn't want to do like a super heavy metal band i just wasn't vibing on i was more you know if people heard vegas nerve my other band i started it's very 
kind of ambient prog kind of rock. There's some heavy elements to it, but I really wanted to do something different. I didn't want to just be in another metalcore band or, or you know, that just wasn't where I was, in, you know, fundamentally interested in doing creatively. So, and I was like focused on that. So I was just working on that and trying to finish that. He always kind of wanted me to be involved, but I just wasn't really ready for it at, at, at the time. And also he didn't really have a full band. Like he didn't, he was like trying different singers and, you know, nothing really was really sticking. And like you said, I was playing with this band, Maytal. And for people who don't know that, uh, Maytal Cohen is a uh, Israeli female drummer who gained a ton of prominence on YouTube doing covers. Like she has over a million subscribers. Made a, a an, an album of uh, originals and they were putting a band together. I ended up going on tour with her. We did a tour with Queensryche and the album was really cool. And it was like right kind of in that cross section of what I liked, which is metal and rock kind of fused together like somewhere in between basically i went on tour it was the first time it was like around 2015 2016 actually 16 i'm excuse me when, when we went on tour and uh everything kind of stopped you know they a uh, the singer quit there was nothing really in the horizon so i just kind of had some free time and right around that time uh the singer tommy vex who i had been playing in with bands and projects going back to like 2003 I had even played, you know, did some shows with his, when I moved to LA, with his other band, Westfield Massacre, like I filled in on bass for some so- songs. I played some guitar solos on the record, you know, I was kind of helping him out with stuff. And we would do, we had a cover band together also called Rebel Noise Group and uh, doing, you know, like 90s and 2000s stuff. So we had been working together in LA too, you know, just doing different, different things. And I heard some of the tracks of him singing to songs that would be Bad Wolves and it like, and then it clicked for me. All of a sudden, with his voice on it and the songs more condensed and not so proggy, it sounded really fresh. He like definitely it, takes it in more of a rock kind of direction. To me, it wasn't that. It was his voice has soul to it. And like he, sa- like he sounds like a black dude with, with like soul. <laughs> and when you listen, because the, the music at the time was very genty. And uh, John was getting these singers that had that kind of high-pitched kind of Spencer from periphery mm-hmm. vibe. So it made it sound very typical of that genre. But with Tommy on it, it sounded like a different genre. You know, it sounded like, oh, you have a singer from like Seven Dust doing like this with all oh, this genty stuff. And then he has this really unique kind of mud vein scream rap thing that literally no one was doing. And so it just felt really fresh. And like for me at that time, you know, I think it's almost like you know, I don't, I don't know if you follow sports at all. I know you follow like MMA and stuff like that, yeah. but I'm th- thinking more team sports, like in the draft. I loosely follow the NFL, not as closely as I would like to, but but you understand the idea of scouting, yeah, yeah, right, where it's like you do all this research to say, okay, we're gonna put our chips that this player has the goods, yeah, right, to like be a great player. And I, I was thinking about that when it came to musical projects that I would pick at the time, where it wasn't my thing, where I was kind of joining someone else's thing. It was like. Does it have the tools to do something? And do I really like it? And that was my determination. I was like, okay, I have time. And I think this stuff is really cool. And at the time, I was really intimidated because musically, it was kind of not where my head was at. And it was very new school. Like a lot of that really low tune, like I said, genty kind of rhythms and stuff was, I had to learn that stuff kind of from scratch. You know, my my DNA is a much more kind of traditional kind of thrash metal guitar player. I mean, like God forbid stuff's not easy to play though. Yeah, but it's a different feel. It just is, you know, like I could fill in for Darkest Hour, right? Which is very technical, but that's very much in the God forbid wheelhouse, right? But then this stuff was like, so it was, it was, it was like a lot of work and a lot of like, a steep learning curve, you know, so. So what was the actual moment where either they asked you or you asked to be in the band or how did that actually come together? I think John just called me and it was basically, so Max, the guitar player they started the band with, uh, was in another band called Once Human. And he was also, he's a really, really successful, incredible guitar tech. Like uh, currently he's been working for Ghost for the last year or so. And now he's going out with Faith No More. I mean, he's like, the guy is a genius. I mean, he's kind of like everything he does, he's amazing at. But he kind of preferred the stability of keeping, you know, doing the tech work because he he made a really good living and he's great at it. And then the band Once Human was with was which is with Logan Mater from from Machine Head, was already kind of up and running. 
and it was, they had a lot of stuff going on. So I think he was, you know, with battles at the time, it was called Eye of Tongues. Just that uphill battle of starting something from scratch and not having a label and having to invest your own money and getting in the van and doing all that stuff. I think between those two things, he just decided he didn't really want to be in the band, even though he was still going to help with writing and recording and all that stuff. So a slot opened up. And John hit me up, and like I said, I come home from tour, and he's like, "Hey, man, would you think you'd be, you still, you know, maybe interested in doing this?" Because like I said, John wanted me in the band the whole time. Got it. And I, like I said, I, I the Maytall stuff it kind of run dry, and I was like, "Sure, all right, I think maybe I can, I can do this." And like I said, when I heard the stuff with Tommy, I was like, "This is the real deal." So yes, yeah, so I think it was tw- I want to say 2015 or 2016. It all started, all this stuff seems to like run together yeah. <laughs> after all, like the summer of like 2015, I, I believe so. But and at that time, they were still finishing up songs. And to me, it was like a lot of the, you know, way records are made now is very much in front of a computer, kind of people chopping stuff up and they don't really think about it a lot of times how it's going to be live. So my goal really at the time was like, okay, here's these songs they, they wrote. All right. How do I translate that? So that sounds good in a room with a band, you know? So that was kind of like the, the, the main thing. And then me connecting with the other guitar player, Chris, and at the time, we didn't have a bass player. So the reason I was kind of probing for the specifics there is because what I think you have done a really, really good job at, you know, in the post, God forbid, years, is creating your own opportunities and specifically being top of mind. Like, I think that's the common thread between, like, the blogging stuff you were doing, you know, reaching out to Devil Driver when they're on the road, just, like, being the person who people think of when they want somebody who plays guitar or you know whatever it is that you you want to do and i think there's a lot that can be learned from that and then like specifically how does that like top of mind turn into the call you know is i think a really important piece of that and uh yeah i just i I really admire what a good job you did of being top of mind and just constantly staying on everybody's radar you know you're not going to score a touchdown from the stands you got to be out there in the scoring zone Honestly, and that's where L.A. factors in so much. One of the main reasons I moved to L.A. was originally the singer from Vegas Nerve was going to move out there, too. It was kind of like we made a pact, and he eventually didn't do it. And I tried to literally, the drummer from that band and my guitar player, I tried to convince them to come out here because I'm like, listen, I know you got your life, you got your stuff going on, but I'm like, this is where it's happening. you know. And you can go out in one night in LA, you know, and see, you know, meet five people that could change your life. True. And one night, just going to like the rainbow, just going to a show. And, you know, I know people, you know, it's very fashionable to shit on LA and talk about how fake it is and all that stuff. I'm like, but listen, it's, it's that way because people here have a goal and their goal is I'm here to do business. I'm here to get shit done. And so if you're annoyed that someone's not homely and folksy enough for you and like you know asking you about your kids okay that's great then go go to that town and if you can do well there great but for what for the network like you know i went to go see alter bridge yesterday or two days ago and i just stepped in for like an hour or two you know i saw david draymond from disturbed there i saw dave elich one of the greatest drummers in the world i met like you know i i reconnected with a bunch of different people just being there for like an hour I went to go grab some uh, gear from my <laughs> storage space, and I run into Zach Wild, <laughs> right. and I'm sitting there and I'm chatting up with Zach. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. That shit doesn't happen anywhere else. It just doesn't. You know, and the fact that I'm playing this gig with the guys in Metallica that on- that was the first gig I got when I moved to L.A., but it only happened because I was in L.A. and it was through you know a hardcore scene connection. Ken Shalk from Candiria oh, okay. was a filling guy, and then he recommended me. And it's because I played with Lamb of God and toured with Metallica. So Robert knew who I was. So it's the networking thing. Like I said, I don't think I'm the greatest player in the world, but I do think I understand that element of, I think being top of mind is being out there, yeah. you know, and kind of, and putting yourself out there. And listen, I think there's kind of two ways you can do that. I, I Like a uh, five finger death punch, for example, they had this guy, Andy James, uh, just fill in recently for a tour and he's a he's huge on you know super shredder guitar player and you know he has a huge social media following and i think that's almost like the 
the kind of internet version of networking, right? If like, you know, if you're just getting, people are sharing your videos and people are checking it out and they go to your page and you have a hundred thousand followers, then that that's kind of its own business card in a way, right? So that's like kind of the, the internet version of it as opposed to the, you know, I'm a little, you know, I do fine on social media, but you know, I definitely like being out and about and making the, the human connection. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So let's say there's somebody listening to this who lives in, I'll say Kansas City as an example of somewhere that doesn't, ha- not to put Kansas City down, but somewhere that doesn't have the kind of opportunities that LA or fill in the blank city has. A lot of those people think, well, I have to move somewhere to make this happen. And while I totally agree with everything you said, that if you do move to LA or whatever city is happening like that definitely helps. I also don't really buy that that you have to move. I feel like there's a lot you could do from Kansas city or wherever the fuck you live. It depends on what you're doing. I think it, every situation is its own thing. Like sometimes, especially in band scenarios, right? Slipknot only can happen in Iowa. You know, code orange can only happen in Pittsburgh. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like some artistic movements are reflective of their environment. I'm more talking about, you know, for the type of music I do and the place I was at in my life, that was the best move for me. You know, it really just depends on what you're doing. You know, like, but I I look at an example, like something like Texas, right? Texas is so fucking big. If you're starting a band in Texas, and let's say you live in like the bottom of Texas, just to do local shows, you're driving 10 (laughs) hours over here, 12 hours over, like it's brutal. It's like, it's its own country. You know, whereas like certain things like that, where I've definitely seen bands that have talent, what they have to break through to kind of get attention is just a little different. And I, like I said, I know that's changed with social media and, you know, ha- be having things be able to, you know, where you're not as reliant. But being physically close is definitely a benefit any way you look at it. Listen, there's bands that are like average bands that get like record deals in LA just because they're here because the sure. NR people. I'm not gonna say they're lazy, but they it, it's that top of mind thing. Oh, I, I've seen them f- five times yeah. in the last two months. So right, as compared to a local band in New Mexico, where they might be just as good, but I just don't know them. Yeah, and it, listen, and I'm sure that makes those bands or artists, like I said, because I think we, it's really important to, you know, we, we almost need to stop using the word band yeah. and the idea of a band as the default because it's just not the case anymore. It's really just artists uh, because so many, there's so many great, you know, I think a lot of people are, are working is, is on their own or maybe it's one other person and it's not really, you know, I think we have to kind of get past. I know you don't do that. I'm just kind of, yeah. I'm almost, I'm almost telling that to tell myself. Well, that's <laughs> why I'm so inspired by all these like younger rappers that are, you know, the like alternative rappers because it's just one kid and a lot of them are actual kids making shit in their bedroom from some uncool place like, you know, Shinigami's from like Rochelle, New Jersey, you know, not the coolest place in the world. And he is... What? Rochelle? (laughs) How dare you? The Cove? Did you ever go there? (laughs) And he's got a million monthly listeners on Spotify, you know, and he's... A kid from New Jersey. I find that very inspiring, what you're talking about. The kind of model of solo artist working from wherever is super inspiring to me. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I think when it comes to the creative, you know, people are, you know, going to connect to it or not. And how, they, like I said, in, in many ways, I can't speak to how those artists do what they do in terms of uh, getting n- notoriety, but it works. And you know, I was more speaking to my particular yeah. situation, which was like, because I wasn't just saying I have this, you know, solo album. And it was like, no, I was looking for work. I've had the same thought sometimes, though. Like, I don't know, last time I was down in Orange County and one day I saw three people who are, you know, and I don't want to be crass and, you know, like, oh, I saw this person, this, but, you know, these are like three super notable people. Not like I did, <laughs> right? I was very crass. No, but that's a great example. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's that. It's And I thought about that. I was like, dude, between the hours of like 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., I hung out with these three fucking people, and there's nowhere else I could have done that. And on the other hand, you know, I like where I live now because I actually am probably more into like business and technology than I am music, and we live like equidistant between Microsoft and Amazon. And that's a pretty unique thing too. either Seattle or San Francisco, you know, you're not going to be that physically close 
to so many world-class tech companies. And, and I really value that. Seattle is a very serious city. So that's, I think that's a, that's a great place to, to be for just about anything. Like I said, I don't think it has to be one place, you know, Half of my friends are moving to Nashville. That's a musical hub. I mean, the, yeah. the the music scene there is way bigger than in L.A. right now. And there's something to be said for being a big fish in a small pond too. Yep. You know, being the being the coolest band in Kansas City has its benefits too. So I guess where I'm headed at with this is to me, you know, it's about maximizing whatever situation you're in and maybe the grass is greener somewhere else and if it is then maybe you should move but i think there's a lot of people who don't even try to maximize their current situation and just assume that they have to move somewhere else and then suddenly everything will be better but i'm not sure that that's actually the case yeah put it this way you can move to la and if you're not going to hustle you're going to get lost in the shuffle among all the people who are hustling yeah but one thing i've noticed about los angeles is Pretty much all my friends that are from the East Coast all crush it out here because that's the mentality, whether it's Lorenzo or Tommy or like, you know, you look Ash and like, you know, Tosin who are from, you know, the like the D.C., you know, Virginia areas like, you know, we all have that vibe of like. You, you know, you got to work, you know, so um, everyone I know that's from the East Coast comes out here does really well. I've noticed. Do you complain a lot about how slow people on the West Coast are like complain about how chill people are? <laughs> no, my my actual personality is much more a West Coast vibe. I'm not like, a, you know, I'm a, I mean, I can ball bust with the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> with the with the best of them. But I'm a I'm a pretty mellow person. So I, I kind of. You know, I'm fine with that. I lived in New Jersey and worked in New York for a year, and I could not hang. I'm a hard worker, but just like there's a level of what feels like to me like unneeded intensity. <laughs> and I get it and I respect it, but I was just like, dude, this is like, I feel like I'm being punched in the face all the time, just interacting with the guy selling a bagel. <laughs> the best thing I've ever seen was going to a Starbucks at nine o'clock in the morning in the on the upper east side and just seeing all the business people order coffee dude it's like these motherfuckers are professionals you know you know yes, they're, 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 yeah, there's yeah. not they're, they're not you know fenty pike black boom five seconds right nope. no small talk yeah like my mom came to visit and she was like oh hi how are you and i was like no no just say what you want don't say please just just say what you want and then move they are they are <laughs> not messing around no. Let me ask one sort of last question, which I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say about this. I forget the name of the book. Uh, it's by Stephen Kotler. Um, it's it's about generalists. And one of the, it's the same guy that uh, kind of wrote the stuff about flow state and whatnot. The main point of this book is about how one of the characteristics of a lot of successful people is that they sort of later in life tie a lot of threads together and they have a lot of experiences that earlier in life they thought were, I don't want to say a waste of time, but maybe like false starts or dead ends or something like that, that later in life all come together in a kind of unique way that nobody saw coming, but ends up being really cool and and setting them up for success. Does that resonate with you at all? Are there any things that you did 10, 15, 20 years ago that uh, you find being surprisingly relevant now? I mean, that kind of speaks to something we've talked about before about the ethos of seeing people and how that develops into certain amount of kind of like independent uh, success. You know, like almost everyone, we, we talked about this when you were on my, on, on, on my podcast. I think a lot yeah. of that kind of DIY spirit, not sitting around saying, okay, when is... When is uh, Mr. Big from the label going to call? It's like, no, no, I got to... <laughs> you're just being a self-starter and just... Being okay with existing outside the system, I think. But it's interesting that you bring that up because I I read uh, Scott Adams, who uh, created Dilbert, who's now probably very smart guy, probably most known for being like a a big Trump booster. But he's not a Trump booster. All he did was he predicted that Trump would win. No, it's not true. He's he's a follow him on Twitter. He's like the biggest Trump. Is he really? Yeah, yeah. he loves him. He's like it's like his hero. It's his his god. But uh, (laughs) okay, well then I stand corrected. I'm sorry, God Emperor. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) But anyway, but but despite that, I don't I don't really. Uh, I, I bought his book and he calls it talent stacking. Yeah, same idea. Yeah, the idea that so if you're really good at one thing, then that will reap certain benefits. But if you can combine three or four unique skills, that together makes you a very kind of compelling individual. So 
that's something I, I think about a lot. And it's, you know, it's, it's a weird kind of struggle with me because I'm a, I'm a guitar player, but you know, I'll go on tour like this last tour and it's like, see like Kiko from Megadeth and Jason sure. Hook from Five Finger. These guys are, you know, in the umpteenth 1% of skill. I mean, there's all, there's literally like a handful of people at this, at this level. And I get really frustrated because I'm like, man, how come, you know, man, if I just would have practiced more, I just would have focused. But then I'm like, yeah, but I didn't do that stuff because I was doing all this other stuff where it's like, I'm a very good guitar player, but it's like, I spent a lot of time working on singing. And then I spent a lot of time, like I said, writing. I spent a lot of time working on a podcast. I spent, I have a lot of other interests outside of music. You know, I'm a huge basketball fan and I'm a huge movie nerd. And I don't, and I don't watch those things and consume them passively. I'm very active in, in the way I think about it. So it's, you know, I sacrificed being great at one thing to try and hopefully maintain a certain amount of versatility. And listen, it's, helped me a lot you know being a writer you know i think you know it's funny because i i lately i've been thinking about a lot what you said the last time we spoke about how you feel like people who write really and it's the same thing you talk with with brian brian storm about that they should transition to youtube yeah and part of me is like it's a real struggle because i find the mental work that goes into writing and the mental and discovery actual discovery like the actual physical act of writing is a is like an intellectual exploration and something that i find like not only gratifying but something that like if i don't do and i haven't done it quite as much that i feel like i'm getting dumber <laughs> if that makes, i know what you mean yes you know something like that just pushing my mental dexterity for a long period of time i came out of that a much more mentally developed and thoughtful individual. Do you know what I'm saying? So so something like that. So it's like, I'd rather have that than maybe be a little bit better at sweet picking, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Or like for me, it's kind of the opposite. Like I'm definitely not a great guitarist or mixer, but I'm okay at both. And I couldn't really talk about the things that I talk about or do the things that I do if I wasn't at least pretty good at those things. Yeah. And would I be a better writer or YouTuber if I fo- focused exclusively on those things? Yes, but I couldn't do what I do if I hadn't also invested some skill points into becoming a four out of 10 at guitar. Yeah. Well, and, and, and keep in mind for me, because I'm still touring and out there and having to go out. And, but listen, the Bad Wolves songs are not easy. Yeah. I mean, you're probably, you know, you're an eight or a nine out of 10 as compared to me being a four. <laughs> well, I'm just, listen, I like to do the ratings, but I'll say the, the song. So every day I get on stage, it's a challenge. I say, say the downside of this for me is that with the band getting so busy, and so prominent, I can't work on as many other things. I'm never going to be completely gratified doing uh, spending most of my time doing one thing. And that's kind of the almost the downside of success with with the band is not being able to write or maybe like. I've done like, you know, like one podcast in the last like six weeks because I've been so busy with with music. And that for me is definitely a thing. And then at the same time, I'm still up there looking at these other sick guitar players and being like, Jesus Christ, why am I not as good? You know, it's like this dichotomy of always, you know, feeling like you have only so many time and effort uh, resources and constantly just being frustrated that you're not doing more or performing better. So it's like, that's kind of like, the main issue, you know, is is just, you know, wishing I could do more and be better and, and kind of, you know, be involved. Cause I, I just, I, I love all this stuff and I want it, I want it to be good, you know, and you want to be great. You want to be better than good. You want to be great. You know, I want to be a 10 out of 10 at everything, but it's just not how it works. Last thing before I let you go, what words of advice would you have for somebody who is say, you know, 32, 34, 38, kind of wondering, what am I going to do with myself? How do I create opportunities for myself? What's one piece of advice you would have for that person? Well, I can only speak from my own experience, but I think the thing that I probably honed in on and embodied the most that was most beneficial around that time was giving up the desperation to have to do something, right? 
I have to do music. I have to make it. It's like in a weird way, like when I kind of gave up the need, like my of my goal being I have to do music as a career. When I didn't care anymore and I just was like, I'm going to do music because I like it. And, you know, and if I have to work another job, if I got to bartend or do something else and then just do it for fun, I'm fine with that. It was very freeing because, and, and it almost, because you probably see this when you have a band, you know, maybe trying to give you their demo or pitch on something. You can like feel the desperation. <laughs> yes. You know, because, and it's not, and, and I'm not trying to shit on them Yeah. because I've been that person where you just, because you love it so much. And when you're in, all you want to do is be around music and be on tour and make records. And that's your, your everything. Because the industry are vampires and that's how they get you is they can feel that you want it so bad that you will give away everything just for a chance. You know, so there's one good thing about being that age, about being 33, 34, is that maybe some of that kind of desperation is kind of gone away and you can get to a point of kind of mature acceptance of like, Okay, this thing, and I don't care what it is, music, acting, writing, photography, it could be anything. And I think we should also get out of the idea that we're, you know, creativity is just the arts. Creativity is everything. It's marketing, it's business, it's craftsmanship, just whatever. I mean, anything can be creative. Creating something that wasn't there before. Yeah. You might want to do something, but it's okay. Like there's plenty of people who are who work normal jobs and you know have a more simplistic life that are very happy and they're not just sitting there oh man i could have my record out of revelation man you know so you know they're not like you know and i and i and i think you owe it yourself that one last time like i said i owed it to myself to just try because then if i ended up doing something else at least i could say you know what i i didn't i didn't leave a what if on the table I actually went for it and I could say, hey, I did my best and it just didn't work out. And the truth is, Finn, between me and you. Wait, but there are some other people listening. So it's not just between you and me. Well, I mean, I, I'm saying that because you you know me. Yeah. And I'm 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 saying it like in a in a real like I'm saying this like I really mean this. So that's why I'm talking to you, motherfucker. Yeah. If you know, if I got a call that, hey man, you know, we're it's not gonna work out with you in the band and I got kicked out of the band or something, or I don't know, I broke my my hand didn't work and I couldn't tour anymore. I would be completely fine with not touring anymore. Doesn't you know? That doesn't mean I wouldn't create or I wouldn't play with friends or whatever. Figure something out. But I have checked every box. You know what I'm saying? Like there's you just played fucking stadiums with Megadeth. Yeah, I don't need to to do it. That's the difference. You know, is the need and want. You know, is it, and doing it for the right reasons. Because guess what? There's a lot of people in bands that are successful, but from the outside looking in, and they're not happy. They just don't know how to do anything else right? that can pay them as much as that. Just dealing with that desperation and, and try and do it for the right reasons. And, you know, if you're at that period where you say, you know what, let's give it the old college try, do it. But then be okay. Don't have the, like, if this doesn't happen, I'm a failure. You're not. Everything that doesn't work out is an opportunity for something else to happen. You know, and, and you know, like you've heard the, the term disaster capitalists, right? Yeah. But life is just like that. In every failure is born of opportunity you know there's so much in there if you're willing to not fucking do the you know the the parade of 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 misery and actually be like okay you know everything doesn't work out you know so that's that's that that's the mental battle is is to not you know it's not just being positive it's it's about having perspective wise words thank you so much for being on the show i'm happy we were able to make this happen uh, after chasing you down for a while you're too busy running all over the world playing your stadium shows thank you very much for making uh, arena time for arena shows but you know who's who's really <laughs> right, well, we'll round up uh is there anything <laughs> you want to plug uh before i let you go your podcast the x-man live now on every platform x-man podcast like i said i've been a little bit uh derelict <laughs> in, in getting some shows out but uh, but unfortunately you know duty calls with 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 the music career and you know but i'll Luckily, I'm off the road for the most part, despite this one gig for the next couple months. So I'll definitely be able to get back in with the show. Bad Wolves' new album, Nation, is out now. 
So I have anything else to promote? I don't I don't think. I mean, Bad Wolves got a bunch of tours. We're going out with Hollywood Undead in the spring. We're going out with Disturbed and Stained in the summer. And then we're going back to Europe at the end of the year. So it's going to be really busy. All right, my friends. That does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works, too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.